0: Thank you, uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to sit down, um, I don't know, once or twice a year deaf, and uh, have an opportunity to answer questions. So I, I do apologize, I'm not readily available all the time, but it's, I think it's good. It works, I think it works best for all of us to do it that way. So I do appreciate you coming today, and, and, and without any further ado, I'll just try to take questions for what, about an hour? Is that right? Okay, about 40 40 minutes?
1: minutes, OK. <laughs> so uh, according to your boss, <laughs> who wants to lead off? Secretary. Oh. Start off with the football schedule that was released today. We thought last year's schedule was pretty brutal the first month. But this one is uh, extra.
0: I'm really excited about it. And um, I'm really happy that we have a football coach and players that feel good about a schedule like that. Um, as I've said in years past, it's, it's always difficult to put together an independent schedule, where you're you're really putting together 12 teams each year instead of four non-conference foes, and uh, when you put them together, some of these teams um, came into the schedule maybe a year or two ago. Some of them came on quite a bit earlier than that, and uh, it's always hard to really determine where teams will be when you schedule them, and so. Like we have Stanford scheduled out into, I, I'm not going to throw out a date. It might not be exactly right, but 2027 in order to get, we have a home and home with them down the road somewhere. And I don't know how Stanford is going to be in 2027 or us, but it'll be, it should be a good game based on uh, history and tradition. And so that's just a game that no matter where the programs are, right now you, you'd feel good about it just addressing next year's schedule, I feel that it's, uh, you know, if you were to take each one of those teams at their very best, it would be wicked. But I I don't know if each one of those teams is at their very best in their history right now, including BYU. So I think that we have a a really good shot to win um, a large number of games next year based on um, who we're playing, where we're playing, But there's so many intangibles right now. We'll go through spring ball and fall camp, and tell me a little bit more. I could tell you a little bit more about how I feel about the games as they come next year. But I I like the schedule, and our uh, season ticket sales are up from last year at this point. Now, based on where we were at the end of last year's selling season, we've surpassed already. So I think it's a good sign. When you put a
1: schedule together, are you concerned if they were at their best? Are you concerned that, gosh, maybe I overdid it this year?
0: Well, if you were to look at just the names, I think that would be yes, that'd be true. But um, I think if you, if I could, I if I could take a 12 week or 13 week of a calendar, of football fall season, and slot those games in. Uh, Home and road, when I wanted them with the bye, it wouldn't look like that. There's no way. But you can't get those teams. Like, we couldn't get Tennessee to play us in November. So I actually went to Kalani and said, do you want to play Tennessee? It's going to be early in in the year. It would be part of uh, a really difficult early stretch. I think Duff's told me that we're the only team in college football next year that plays four P5 schools in the first four weeks. That seems, you know, I guess a lot of P5 schools would play non-conference games against group of five or uh, independents. But that's what a good schedule looks like for an independent team like BYU. So it's not perfect by any means. But I think it's the best we could do, <clears throat> considering we don't get to slot them in wherever we want. You, we get a, a, lot of, a lot of these games. You slot them in where there's a time available. Like, I'm looking into 20, you know, 23, 24, right now, 25. Um, I was just working with uh, Dave Brown yesterday on the schedules, and you have like a slot. And so, if you were to really want to do the exercise, you could do it and see what teams are available in 2023, 24, 25 on the week of October 11th, and the answer is two or three. So you get what you get when it comes down to doing that. And most teams, you don't have to do that because you're scheduling four games, and they're usually early in the season. Every once in a while, you may may get a game later because of the inter-conference rivalries that set up buys and things like that. It opens up slots. But most teams, most conferences don't want to disrupt the regular season once it's I mean, the conference season once it starts kind of going along with that it was announced that we have our um series with beaker with utah being extended um for the coming years how big is that for the, kind of the athletics department as a whole to ensure that you have that rivalry for the years to come I'm, I'm really happy with it i'm grateful to utah that they extended that for two years to where it went to um I mean, you all know how i feel about it and and I've said before that it's, it's a different uh, perspective from Utah being in a conference in the Pac-12 as us independent. You know, we like to get the biggest games that we can. The Pac-12 teams don't necessarily try to get the biggest games that they can. But for, uni- for uh, Utah, it's unique. And they understand the rivalry. Many of their fans don't like it. Many of their fans like it. That's between Mark and Kyle as to determine how they're going to do that. And I'm grateful for those two games. There seems to be a little
2: bit of a frustration on the part of some coaches in football and basketball with the rigorous academic
0: standards. Is there anything that can be done to ease that frustration on behalf of the coaches? Um, I I don't know if you can do it on behalf of the coaches. I I think the coaches may say things publicly or privately in public, if that makes sense. Um, But our coaches understand what BYU is all about. Um, When coaches come to BYU and they take the job, they realize that there are academic standards. I I would say, based on my knowledge of other schools and other ADs that I talk to, my peers, that it's not too dissimilar. There are some schools where the academics will drop their standards for athletes. Um, You have to understand that at BYU, The admission standard is extremely high it's already been lowered to um, admit a number of student-athletes in most of our programs so it's not like we're living up to the academic standard of our school it's an extraordinary school with great standards I'm grateful that they give us the opportunity to bring in kids that are below a certain level so we go to great lengths I do as an administrator to work with our admissions and our um, uh, central administration to try to put together um, teams and recruiting classes that would fit BYU. And if you were to sit all the coaches on my staff in this room, they would agree when they're looking at me that we do that, that we work on trying to get the fit. It's, it, I have to state, and you know, maybe Patrick, this is what you might be bringing up, that last year there was an individual that didn't get accepted into school based on um, our admissions policy. It was stated before that, um, the, before it came to that that there would be requirements that had to be met that weren't. It hadn't happened prior to last year, but it did. And it didn't happen this year. So we were able, uh, in this class, to be able to get the the student-athletes that that we recruited. Now, our coaches will recruit um, student-athletes probably to a higher standard. It would be extraordinarily hard for me to turn away a five-star recruit that was a a lower academic standard, but I would get on the table and stand them ahead to get a five-star athlete in. But I wouldn't do that to get um, to bre- to lower a standard at BYU if it wasn't a great fit for a two-star. And our coaches understand that. They fully understand. So
2: it. when you say that there's a, a standard for the university, a standard for the athletics, is that across the board, athletes, or is it certain number that can get in below the standard of the university?
0: It's a good question. It's a fair question. And the answer is yes, that <laughs> we have kind of a little bit of both. Um, We, uh, certain of our sports have more athletes that are recruitable and signable, so they have a little, they have more, we have a little bit more room in those sports. And typically those sports are the ones that may reach a little bit more. I'm content with that. If there is an individual, I've fought for them and I will continue to fight for them. So I don't think that we can say, um, like some people have addressed it that way. I don't, I don't think it's a fair assessment of how closely we work with our admissions program. And, and what I would say is, I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to be at Stanford and Cal, and they're, they're two really great institutions, but it was very similar to that, and I would could name dozens of others that would be almost exactly like ours.
2: Does team GPAs reflect in how much leeway the teams may have?
0: Um, I don't know if it's necessarily GPA. I think even the NCAA gets away from GPA as far as the AP I mean the uh, APR oh, yeah. but I think it's more with graduation rates okay. and how the kids that you bring in are they graduating are they having success are they staying eligible through the course of their matriculation and I think that's a fair assessment and I, I think our co- I think our coaches our academic staff and admissions has really collaborated to get to a point where we uh, we all understand but Patrick, I've I've done this. I've played. I've coached. I've been administrator. If there's a kid out there that you really, really want, and he would be he or she would be an exception, I'm gonna fight for him. Mm-hmm. Kalani is signed through 2020. Is there any update on a possible extension? I really, I think people are creating something that they're asking questions where we just typically. Uh, historically I've been here 14 years if you go back and look at the way we've done it is we have a kind of a plan a process that we go through and he's this isn't his last year and we've rarely gone into the last year of a contract and it's not his last year so he has uh, more than one year left on his contract I've spoken with Kalani before it even came up just to make sure we talk all the time I don't know, I can't say we talk every day, but it's my attempt to talk every day. We talk about all kinds of things. So I know exactly where he stands. He knows exactly where I stand. And we don't really, we we don't talk about it. It externally might have forced the issue where I've gone to him and looked him in the eye and said, how you doing brother? And he goes, I'm doing fine. And I'm saying, look great, let's play ball. So it's, it's a, I think it's a situation that it's created outside, and I, I understand the reasons, but it's not an issue. How
2: happy were you from the, with the
1: progress from 2017?
2: Very.
0: <laughs> we made progress. It was very good. We had a we had a difficult season the year before, and we made progress. And you know, maybe that's going to be a question that'll come up later, but I'll address it if it does. But certainly, there's many areas to be. Um, excited about there's certain areas that we still need to continue to show growth and development and we're working on those right now
3: when you're looking at contract renewals and things like that when you're evaluating the coaches how much emphasis do you put into on field or on court performance compared to the academic sides the personal sides the development of kids as individuals
0: i think that's the biggest part i mean this is they're student athletes and we have processes and um things in place that take care of and uh, advance the student-athletes in areas off the court, off the field, you know, off, out of the pool. But look, I'm a coach. I'm a player. I-, I, like to, I like kids and teams that are chasing championships. I want them to be as good as they can in their sport. And so do they. Our kids want that. And so we, that's a huge factor. That's a big part of the evaluation. And I have my finger on the pulse of each one of our teams and each one of our coaches. And week to week and game to game, I'm aware of the things that you guys are writing about. I'm aware of the things that our fans are talking about. Um, a lot of times, I'm made aware of that by our coaches where I wouldn't really even know some of the details because uh, the inner circle of a team, which I'm well aware of, does not include the athletic director sometimes. But my job and my responsibility is to have my pulse on that. So it it, seems silly to think when people say that I don't care. It's funny, it's silly, because I care. And I care for student athletes, I care for what their goals and their dreams and what they want to achieve. I care for our coaches. But I most importantly care for our programs. Because there's going to be a day when I'm not in charge of our programs. So when I am in charge of our programs, I need to do everything I can um, to lead and to direct. But I'm not the coach, I'm not the player, I have a, a role and it's a significant role. And. Uh, I feel that I have a good uh, finger on, my, on the pulse of these teams. Now, some people feel um, like they know exactly why their opinions formulated, and I know exactly why my opinions formulated on teams and players and coaches and strategy and all that. And I take all of that into consideration, and those are the things that go into my decisions on how I speak with the coaches, how I talk with the players, how I encourage, how I uh, direct, how I lead, how I counsel, all those things. And those things are occurring all the time. So it's not like I have one or two or three entry spots during the course of the year where I might evaluate. I'm always evaluating and I don't think that that's rare. I think most ADs, I would hope most ADs are in a constant position of evaluation. Um, I think a, a, an example would be our, our women's volleyball team. They were 31-2. and two, And I spoke a lot with Heather about her team and her, and, and her evaluations. And, and there were issues, believe it or not, with a team like that. They had a number of issues that came up in the course of the year. I am not involved in the middle of that. I'm not involved in the intricacies of that, but I stand a short distance away, observe and, and try to counsel and help all the time. Doesn't matter if it's football, baseball, women's gymnastics, soccer. Football and basketball is bread and butter. That's what we do. That's our revenue stream sports. I get it, I understand totally what those the importance of those programs well aware of it and I know what the um, I know what the issues are I know what the discussions are and I think it's important for me to to look at the radar but not have rabbit ears I can't have rabbit ears you can't have rabbit ears as a as an AD or it, it, you'd lose your mind
3: who makes the decision in regards to an extension is that you or why uh, it's me
0: no, I, I have counselors and I confide in some dear, close confidants that may not be here because uh, sometimes when you're in the midst of the, the uh, battle, you might not see things. So I, I have a, a, a close number of Really close confidants that I counsel with. You yep. mentioned
3: Dave Brown earlier. Is is he still working at ESPN? And is he kind of going to be the point man for possibly a design? Dave does not. He no
0: longer works at ESPN. hasn't for a couple years. But he owns a company. started a company called Gridiron, which is uh, the number one sketch football scheduling um, resource uh, guru in the country. He talks to every coach, every AD, all the time and there's no one that can compare.
3: What's the timeline for a ESPN contract extension, the framework
0: for, for that? We've, we've been discussing that. We're, we're in an option year right now, and we are in discussions right now.
1: Going back to the schedule, uh, instead of bringing a McNeese State or a Toledo or going across country to uh, play UMass, it seems like it'd be less expensive to try to get Weber on an annual basis. Uh, local, less expensive, uh, and a quality opponent. Why, why not Weber on a more
0: of an annual basis? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I mean, Jerry Bovey and I are really good friends, uh, you know, maybe one of my closest friends in the business. And uh, we've played them once, but uh, I don't have anything against playing them. We try to play the, the local. We've played Idaho State. Yeah. Idaho State has actually made it very easy for us to play them, which I appreciate. They've saved us a couple times and moved or a couple games, and in response, we've given them extra games. They have been a great benefit to us and that's just good business. I appreciate the fact that um, they've bailed us out a couple times and you know I'll scratch their back a little bit for that. We have played Southern Utah. Uh, we, would, we played Weber. We would play teams locally and regionally, especially in the state, if we can, when we can, if it makes good sense. That's not all the time that we were play us.
1: What about Dixie State? Are you in contact with them?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have been in contact with them because they're going to Division One, and it's another example of a, a Utah school now at Division One that would be looking for games.
1: Do you think that will take place yeah, it or would be right? not?
0: I mean, I'll take a look at it and make it happen. What's your appeal process going with the NCAA sanctions with the basketball program? Um. You know, we're just waiting our time, and the appeal process, I'm glad that we have it. Looking forward to it. It's kind of a a long process where not a lot is occurring at this time, but we're waiting for the time where we'll have our voice, and I feel really good um, about where it is and what will happen at that time.
2: How unfair do you think the Vacation of the Winds was? That
0: was the main thing, that the Vacation of Winds didn't feel like it was um, an accurate um, adjudication based on the details of the case and that's the appeal I think everybody understands that and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good process and I feel good that we'll have that opportunity
3: Did you get a lot of response from when they came down I and mean, there's a lot of stuff going on I don't know what type of interaction you had on that subject.
0: Yeah you know I'd rather not get into the details of, of everything about it and who liked it and who didn't and, but um, you know, I think as we prepared our appeal it was important to, to know what other people felt about the appeal and the peers that are in it there are uh, other schools that have been in similar situations and there's similar cases, and we counseled and researched and did the best we could to see that. So we got some feedback. Yeah, sure. What'd you What's the timeline? It, it'll be within. It'll come sometime in uh, 2019. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know, I hope yeah. it's, it's scheduled. But you know, it's a, it's a. It's a long, it's not that so much the process, but the scheduling and the way it works and putting together the um, appeals uh, panel and all that. Is, it's not easy. It's membership-driven, and so you have to get the people together in a room. They have a number of cases. They spread them out over time because they're not full-time appeal <laughs> or appeal uh, committee members. Well, they are, but <coughs> they don't do it full-time. So it's, uh, we have to respect the, the process that they've set up, and it feels good right now. You went ahead and extended Dave Rose. How come? What was the process? I felt at the time it was the right thing to do. Like I said in my earlier explanation, uh, there are factors that uh, come into play based on a number of issues. And uh, taking all those things into consideration, some may be more important than others at the time, that was important for me. I I think you know. right now, they're a team that uh, struggled on the road early and they're playing good ball right now and we have a chance to see them play tomorrow night against gonzaga who's uh i think only four now four here yeah. you know four and uh, that's that's a that'll be a measure to see playing a great team like that how we do and uh you know, I, I like the resiliency in the last number of games against them we play great at home and um and, hoping that we, things continue
3: the football program currently has an opening on the staff offensive line coach how involved are you with positional coaches I am a
0: counselor uh, this is Kalani's hire and he'll work with his particularly uh, offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes but the staff but um, I, Kalani and I have spoken a number of times there's ideas that they have and uh, I'm not trying to poke holes in ideas but he'll throw some things by me and and I, I appreciate the fact that he uh, seeks my counsel, and I will not make this decision. I try not to influence and give them a nudge or a wink, but uh, I think that it's really important that they make the decision and not me. Um, they're the ones that are gonna be in there every single day and have to have that um, unity and camaraderie and tr- trust and faith, and uh, I'm just excited to see how it goes. It's a very important hire critical spot and uh, I like the people that are making the decisions.
3: Tom, what was it like seeing the growth of Zach Wilson over those few months culminating with the bull win?
0: Um, it was very good. I, mean, I think that a lot of people that had seen him in high school maybe and then seen him early, seen maybe through camp, saw that potential and uh, initially you, you couldn't see it all for a number of reasons. It's another thing where a lot of people had opinions on why It didn't happen when it did, but uh, I was glad to see that uh, it did catch on, he did catch on, and had a lot to offer and added a lot to our team. And I think the future is really bright for him, how he plugs into our team in this uh, fall camp and and this next season. Uh, It's still a young team, but it's a good young team, and he's kind of one of the young leaders that will be – one of the key stakeholders on that team, determining how well they do. Speaking of coaches, what's the
1: relationship with BYU now with Ty Detmer? Is he still a beloved Cougar,
0: or is he one of those coaches that didn't work out and gone? From whose perspective? I mean, from my perspective, I love Ty Detmer. I was here as a coach when he, his junior and senior year, so I saw him at his best, saw him when he won the Heisman Trophy, I saw him when he um, just did incredible things in individual games. I can still picture it. He won a Heisman Trophy. It's an incredible honor, and beloved from by Cougar fans. It didn't work out. We hashed this out. He's always welcome back. We're, this is the 150th, this upcoming season is the 150th year of college football. We have plans to bring back um, a number of our uh, great players, and he'll be the first one on the list to be invited back. And I, I certainly hope that he's able to come back. He's a terrific individual, not not just a football player, but um, he's a great, great man, has a great family. They're super tied to BYU. He always will be. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, have we done everything we can to extend that hand and welcome him back.
3: You're contracted to the Hawaii Bowl in 2019, but I think new bowl agreements start in 2020. What's your... Expectation for BYU fits in the new round of bowl tie ins?
0: Well, the new bowl tie ins are not necessarily uh, nationwide. Those go at all different kinds depending on the conferences. We have our bowl tie ins were um, approximate to our ESPN contract. That's why 19 is our last bowl game. But after that, as we uh, work on renegotiating, extending, or creating a new contract with ESPN, those are when the bowl slots will be f- f- determined. And it'll be interesting because the bowl world has changed from when we got in nine years ago. And uh, I'm grateful for the ESPN. As you all know, this, this year was uh, a really nice to rely on a partnership to get into the famous Idaho potato bowl game where we didn't have a bowl game and the maneuverings or relationships put us in that game. It'll be interesting to see, since so many teams from conferences or slots are allotted to games already, how we do this. But ESPN owns the games, and we're working right now on the strategies, their strategies, not necessarily ours, but their strategies that we will... uh, you know, connect with to put us in bowl games.
3: Would you prefer kind of a long-term agreement with one game or continue to have year by year?
0: You know, that's a good question. It would determine, it would be dependent upon what that game might be. We've had a number of um, potential bowls contact us and say they wanted to create a bowl where we would be the the anchor team. Interesting thought. Um, But, you know, with being with ESPN – that would be something that they would determine so we talk about those and pass along the interest and um, communicate that to espn you've played a number and going forward you we'll continue to play a number of mountain west slash
2: pac 12 games and football teams i mean is there any way that there have been discussion or could possibly be discussion for some form of a scheduling agreement like what notre dame has
0: with the yeah. ACC? um it's possible We've broached that a little bit. There hasn't really been an interest for other conferences to do that. What it does is it, it tells everybody in those conferences, you're playing BYU, yeah. which those 80s and football coaches have to have enough votes in that conference to be able to say, okay. Um, I don't think, I think Notre Dame, I think the Pac-12 would do a, a scheduling agreement with Notre Dame. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Right. So I don't know how many you know. There's a handful of teams that you could name that they would do it, but they're all locked in. If you look at the independents, that that's what you're looking at. Um, it's flattering to think that people might consider us for that, but I just don't know if it's realistic because all those conferences are focusing on their endeavors and their enterprise, and it really doesn't include BYU. Uh, some of them <coughs> thought about it, but. They can't get enough teams that would want to play. Mm-hmm. The thing that's interesting about the uh, Notre Dame is they have a bowl agreement that is set up with yeah. the with the ACC. Right. That would be really easy. That would be a nice thing to do. But the ACC is willing to take Notre Dame into their conference as a bowl um, scheduling agreement and offer up one of their bowls, even a really good one. But... Not too many teams want to give us one of their bowls. And I understand it. I don't really, I, I totally understand it. And, you know, if somebody came to us with a really good um, proposal, we would look at it. Because yeah, something, since the bulls are involved, it would involve ESPN.
1: This may be far fetched, but on those same lines, with ESPN owning the bulls and owning the money. Is there any chance there could be a bowl game in Utah at Rio Tinto or with Dixie State going to Division One? Maybe uh, they have 10,000 seats. They could increase it and then have you have your bowl with a certain number of a Pac-12 or or uh, whack or something like that. Is that far-fetched? I mean,
0: Has that even been discussed? I mean, like I said, there have been a number of um, individuals that have contacted us about that very thing not necessarily in the state of utah but in other places and we kind of push that to espn at this point in time and say hey look you want to take a look at this and you know they're the bull bowl. there's bowls that are traditional games that are owned and operated by municipalities or um you know i don't know yeah. organizations and then there's espn which owns a number of the bowls that's the way it is right now for bowl games. And it's morphed in the last you know, nine years since we've been in this bowl agreement. Uh, BYU, I shouldn't say BYU, uh, well BYU as part of the WAC started the Fiesta Bowl. BYU as part of the WAC started the Holiday Bowl. BYU as part of the Mountain West Conference started the Las Vegas Bowl. So could BYU as part of, as an independent start a bowl? It's feasible. could happen. But you, I'm, not, I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to be cryptic. It's possible.
1: But could you see a bowl game in Utah?
0: You know, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I'd, maybe I'd rather be in Miami Beach or L.A. <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Yeah, okay, all right. I got you. <laughs> I, maybe. Got you. I got Back <laughs> at
3: media day, you said uh, that the Notre Dame game could end up being better than a paycheck. What's the latest with, with Notre Dame? No,
0: nothing to report on Notre Dame no. at this point in time. Notre
3: Dame's uh, AD Jack Swarbrick expressed interest to get a 13th game, kind of a 13th data point. Could BYU factor into that kind of a independent, like championship game, if
0: you will? No, no, they wouldn't do that. I mean, I've heard that suggestion. It's 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 another goes back to this kind of Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They stand alone as much as maybe they might not be, uh, you know, the the top of the hill right now. That brand. Is a it, it, in college football history is number one. Maybe not right now, but it, the residual will last for a long time, and I, I respect that. And that's why there's I, I can't force an issue with that. They have a lot of strength, but we do have contracts, and we'll do everything we can to come up with a good resolution. Could so. you speak
2: to? Gonzaga and maybe yourselves as far as how the new scheduling agreement is going with the basketball conference how they backed off a couple of conference games. Yeah. What what's what's your particular question? Well, I'm wondering are Gonzaga seem to be the driver behind it and I was just wondering if you know if they're comfortable with the way things are. We know that game on with Santa Clara and game was over about two minutes into right. it because they sent a message both times I'm just wondering how pleased they are with what they asked for and what they got you if, know even I, if you're
0: able to speak to it yeah anyway. I will I'll, I'll do the best I can I haven't really spoken to them after but there was a lot of conversation leading up to right. it and we were one of the people that I, you know BYU that were we would be in the same side of the discussion right and obviously there had to be a number of schools in, in our conference that would agree to those terms in order to get a vote of majority to turn mm-hmm. that. It basically comes down to like being on the basketball, I'm not on it anymore but the last four years, to see um, teams that were not in P5 conference, P6 conferences for basketball that would win games and drop in the RPI which is now the net. Yeah, And that was it was killing our conference. And Where you're slotted in your seed has everything to do with how you advance. Mm -hmm. And so that's not hard to figure out. But there were a lot of possibilities and suggestions and opinions. What we settled on was not having our number one team play the two um, least, uh, the the two lowest RPI teams. I'm going to say RPI. You all know net. Okay, net teams. And so this year, they don't have to play, though, so they're not going to drop spots. And one of the things that was so great when um, Gonzaga went to the Final Four is they had that extraordinarily high seed. But if you end up with a three seed instead of a one, you're in trouble. That was, if you look at our women's volleyball team, we were either going to be a four Versus is a number one seed or five, which is a number two seed, that made all the difference in the world because we got Texas here. Now, the NCAA tournament is neutral, but it's the same strength and power in who you're playing. So, I would say, PK, that they would be happy with that. The rest, they have to control their own destiny by how they play, but that in our conference has helped. The most important thing, I think, is that you see the middle of our conference getting stronger, and that in and of itself is going to help Gonzaga because they are now playing a number of games this year that are in the top 100 net instead of 180 or 200. <laughs> and that, those numbers add up. Yeah. Well, Tom, uh, uh, tomorrow night you play 9 p.m. tip-off again
1: with Gonzaga. You played last week St. Mary's 9 p.m. tip-off. Attendance is down a little bit throughout college basketball, but even here. Can you do anything to
3: get those things played earlier?
0: No <laughs> We could I mean you could not play on ESPN um, Here's the thing we played ESPN. We played the uh, same airs on ESPN 2 at 9 o'clock at night um, I you know I had to take a nap at 6 just to make sure I could stay up but after the game Late at night, my friends on the basketball committee from last year, um, and friends and peers around the country texted me, nice win, good job. If that game wasn't on ESPN or ESPN2, they wouldn't have seen it. So we're in this dilemma now, and it's not it's just BYU, it's every conference that you're trying to get the, the conference or the uh, broadcast entities are paying those teams a lot of money for their services. They're gonna play when they tell you. However, for BYU, we have a contract with ESPN. We wanna play now on ESPN. It's a double-edged sword because it does affect our fans. I totally understand that, but it's like you can have one or the other, and right now, our coaches, our administration, our feeling from around the country, all points add to the fact that it's better for our teams, for the exposure, than it is, it's hard for me to say that, for the fans' live experience. And that's not the only thing that hurts the live experience is time. But there's other factors too in that we put every game on TV, thanks to <laughs> BYE TV. I like that. BYU, this goes to the argument of BYU Cougar Nation, around the nation and the world, can see every single game. But not because they can see them all on their big screen or the computer on their sofa, they don't all come to the games. Same thing is true for Alabama football. There's people in big-time programs, football, basketball, they're going to have a little bit of diminishing returns when it comes to attendance. And it's we have to, I don't want to say we want to live with it, but we have to understand it, own it. And I'll give you an example. One of the things we've done with football is we spent millions of dollars putting in a, a DAS system, which is the cellular system and the Wi-Fi system, so that people will come to the stadium and have their phones and have their connection connectivity. And one of the big areas is our students. That was diminishing. You can say it's because of our play, our record, the teams, the time. Yes, 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 yes. All those factors. But one of the factors was I couldn't get, I couldn't get connected. Now they can. So we're going to do everything we can to erase or, you know, sharpen the, the uh, event as a, I mean, the, the game as an event. And it's it's not a BYU thing. Everybody has to try to do that. Hospitality, amenities, facilities, all of those are factors, and many, many more.
3: Along those same lines with amenities and facilities, one of the trends that seems out west is kind of downsizing football stadiums to bring in more premium seating. You did that with the Marriott Center downsizing capacity. Any talks of ever doing something like that big picture with the football stadium?
0: Um, You know, there's discussions that are current about – Um, hospitality, but not downsizing. I mean, I think that we could do some things with hospitality at the stadium that would be in addition to, but I think that our stadium's about the right size. Um, You know, right now we're not filling it, but we did for years, and my intention is to get a team that will attract, and uh, in spite of all the things we've talked about, the exceptions or reasons why people won't come, that we would fill it up. And I think that our number's Right, just about right
3: and how critical is it tickets sold for football games men's basketball to your revenue streams for each very year? important
2: can't have one of these without asking about the possibility of joining a football conference any change in philosophy desire <laughs> 42 point. minutes
0: <laughs> uh, opportunity any change I, I, I really um, as you have told you guys are the media you know publicly every once in a blue moon Someone gets a wild hair and supposed supposed to bring it up and say something about it. You know, it, it doesn't surprise me. I kind of like it. I like the fact that it gets brought up every once in a while. But it really, really, really comes down to a few of the big-time movers and shakers and what they want to do. So it's not so much about what I get. I actually get mailers from people across the country with, here's the solution that is going to solve everybody's problem. I think it's cool that people are thinking about that. Unrealistic, not even close to possible, but they spent a lot of time on it. But it really comes down to, you know, some of the schools at the top of the conferences determining what they're going to do, where they want to be, and what, what they see their their future like. It's not different than society. It's a, it's a market. It's a market-driven Um, organization
3: how big is I mean we touched on this before but how big is success in that equation because I mean BYU obviously has a national fan base they show up even when the team's struggling and and yet we haven't had for a very long time a team that's gone through October with a lot of national buzz
0: I think it's really important Um, like I said I mean we've gone through a period of time where things changed around us we changed I changed, Um, we're independent. All those were decisions that were made to adapt to the change that was going on around us. I I, I get a kick out of people that think that it's 1984. It's not, things have changed so dramatically. And we're not, we're living in 2019 with a vision uh, to 2023 and 24. Which if you think you can predict, I'd like to have your uh, written predictions at the end of the day (laughs) about what it's gonna look like in 2024, 23, when teams or conferences make decisions on broadcast rights agreements. That's what it's all about. We don't know. So you can only predict, adapt, change, try to find the fissures that bring you up and forward. And you, you make decisions that sometimes take you back. And before you go forward, and obviously, I'm not making decisions purposefully to go back, but some of them have taken us in different direction than we would have thought. There's factors. Um, it would have been really interesting to see how BYU football would have done with a healthy taste of meal for four years. But it didn't happen.
1: I don't know if you can briefly uh, put this or put it into one point, but overall, BYU Athletic Department as a whole, what is your biggest problem? obstacle right now and what is your biggest success right now
0: and that you're most proud of right now well i, I don't know if i'd say problems or successes I, I i maybe focus is would be what i'm looking at and i think our focus is football and basketball that's our focus those are the two sports and I, i'm not going to say anything that's going to infuriate our coaches or our players from our other sports they fully understand when football and basketball arise the tide comes in all ships rise. They all know that. And they're super supportive of it. But that's we're, we're in a spot where we want to be better in those sports. We need that success. We understand the challenges. I'm When I talk to these coaches and the players, they understand the challenge. Uh, they might not look at it from the exact perspective that I do or you might, but they understand the challenge. And that's, that's the, our focus of attention right now. I think the um, things that are going well is, I think our Olympic sports are doing extraordinary. And um, I, I'm happy for them. Just, we have some fans that, um, that discount their success because football and basketball is not doing well. I don't see that as an either or proposition. I think you can have great success in those uh, Olympic sports and still put in a ton of time and energy and emotion and passion into the football and basketball. And that's what we're trying to do.
3: You've had an accomplished career in your role in, as athletic What's kind of your goal or, or what kind of motivates you going forward?
0: Uh, you know, I got to be careful. I try to. I got in trouble with one of these answers a few, few uh, months back. But I think really focusing on um, the individuals that make the programs run. And those are the players, student athletes. So it's recruiting, performance, development. Those are all factors that we look at every single day. The coaches are where the rubber meets the road. I'm not with those players every day. Coaches are. And I think that, you know, that's probably my my thing that I like the most is trying to you know, extend the opportunity to advance them in those areas.
3: You mentioned recruiting. One of the things that's kind of came out of the scene lately is the transfer portal. Um, and one of the, part of that is the grad transfers. How do grad transfers factor into coming to BYU? And what, is it a tricky proposition to get them in?
0: Yeah, it is. I, I think the grad transfer um, program uh, in the NCAA is under scrutiny. I could say, though, I think it was a good idea that when they started it kind of came from the external people saying, hey, if kids at your school graduate, can they not go to graduate school wherever they want? And that's a good idea. I don't think a lot of people understood the unintended consequences of what it means to transfer to a school for graduate school. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you went to graduate school. Just kidding, I know that most of you did. But it's not undergraduate. It's not undergraduate school. It's If you think it's hard to get into BYU undergraduate, try graduate school. It's super, super tough. And that's a hard thing nationally is, yeah, you can come. So kids graduate and then go, I want to go there. And it's like, it's, it's. we don't do graduate schools we don't we I'm not plugged into the graduate schools I'm plugged into undergraduate admissions and that's about all I can handle but I'm not involved in that and so across the country athletic directors are pulling their hair out. it's not that we don't want people to have the opportunity to go if someone wants to go and graduate and leave and they've graduated they should have that opportunity I have no problem about that but trying to get kids to come here is super hard
3: and that's been kind of the messaging from Kalani. Uh, it seems like where he's selling to kids, it's going to be four years of hard on and off the field. Do you like that messaging to, as they try to get recruits into this program?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's real. I think the thing that I like about Kalani is he, is he understands in a short period of time what it is to be at BYU and the strengths. So I think one of the things that I don't feel that people understand is Teams, and it's different from football and basketball and some of the Olympic sports, but we've had success in the other sports, and we're still competing against the country. But the football and the basketball is a little different in every aspect. So you've got to look at them differently. Um, But I, I appreciate the way that Kalani has figured it out that this fit is super important. And the correct fit with the student athletes and coaches leads more quickly and more um, sustainability towards success on the field.
1: Tom, you mentioned 14 years you've been in this position. How much has your job changed that time, and how much longer do you see yourself doing this job?
0: Um, It's changed a lot. Uh, Certainly, my day-to-day responsibilities have changed. I think uh, purposefully I've changed a lot from what I do. I, I spend a lot more time with players, individual players and coaches, because at first, the first number of years, I felt I had to kind of get up and running with the programs and the coaches and putting together the, the vision and the goals and get it running. And uh, I've said this before, it's my bliss is the student-athletes and the coaches. And I love that part of it. Um, there's a... I, I, I am constantly on our coaches about change and updating their skills and... Uh, in continuing to learn, and I have to force myself to do that. Uh, there's, there's a time where you know, I'm getting older where it'll be best for me to pass the baton. And I want to do that. I don't want to drop the baton <laughs> and have someone scramble and pick it up. I want to pass that baton smoothly. And so I, I think about that sometimes. But not. it doesn't consume me, believe me. Back we probably, to, we probably back,
1: have time for one
2: more question,
0: back back maybe to tra-
1: two. Back to transfers. Uh, Riley Burt, any? Is he gone? Is he transferred? As he left school, what can you tell us? Of, update him about him. Uh, you know, I'm,
0: I, I don't think so. I think his purpose his is to, to come here and graduate. So yeah, he hasn't left plan school. Um, great kid, fun to be around, exciting to watch. He has decision. He's made decisions for his future that I'm supportive of. So I just I, I wish him luck and wherever he goes, someone's gonna get a player. I think he'll find a place that will be more in tune for the things that he wants, and I think it'll be great.
3: What's the pitch that you he give, is give to school, donors about yeah, continuing to pump in money to BYU Athletics
0: moving forward? What's the pitch? I mean, I, I think it's a, it's not really a pitch. I just you know kind of speak from my heart that the, when I came here in 1978, it was amazing to me how people were connected to the school. Um, where when we went and played on the road, there were so many people that came to our games. But not very many people came to see their team play when they played at BYU. And it, I figured that out early. Uh, came back as a coach and it was more and more intense. And then I come back as an AD and you know, 14 years later, the intensity of the devotion and of the committed fans is, is amazing. It's not hard to connect to BYU amidst what some people say. Some people get frustrated, and I, I actually like it when people send me letters saying, I'm not coming to any more games for a year. You know, and I like that. I like it when they get hot. And, they're passionate. I'd rather do that than be apathy. And that's, you know, what you kind of guard against is that, but our donors have been tremendous. We're not in P five money, but we're competing with P five schools very well. And it's not all about the money. That's what I'm saying. But in our and our, our, our supporters see that what they believe in. And the reason they give is because of the kids. They love our kids. They love what they stand for. They love how they represent. They love how they compete. And it's, the, it's, the, it's why I'm here. It's why they <coughs> give. It's why people keep coming. And if there's a lull or a drag in what's going on in sports, it's what keeps them coming back. And there will be ups and downs. I mean, I'm watching games on TV that are not even BYU. And I'll go turn it off because I'm so disgusted. That's not even my teens. I love it that people are passionate about what we do. If we don't have passion, we're in deep trouble. And I, and I really love the fact that our fans are passionate.